Hi there. Hi there. Hi there. The great tick is a bird. The great tick is a bird. The great tick is a bird. Nadia, it's Edwin. I hope you're working on TK. And I've been thinking about what you said about family. I agree with you. It is the most important thing in the world. Anyway, thanks. And take care of yourself. See you soon. Even on demo day, there was no security in the Tuca basement, also known as ballroom number five, also known as the Tuca girls shelter. I never understood why they just left it hanging there in plain sight. Medina and I found Arjun and Angelique standing outside the shelter's doors as hunched as the burly dudes running the metal detectors upstairs. They were standing guard until TK and Nadia came to fetch them for the demo event where the girls were supposed to go around giving neck massages to attendees. Techno music pounded the walls of ballroom number five. Medina asked, why was it so loud? So we look busy, Angelique said. I imagined the girls inside, surrounded by blasting beats, unable to really rest, but unwilling to go upstairs. I asked Arjun and Angelique, what is the settlement? Their eyes got all shifty. Please tell me. I tried to say it calmly, to be diplomatic. I even reached out and touched Arjun's arm with its long, raised scars forming around her implants. I watched the muscles around her eyes shape and reshape, shape and reshape, until finally she said, Nadia willed us everything she has. She said we are her family. She said it is our settlement. I was like, but you only get her things if, well, yes, said Arjun. We're not here to hurt anyone, Medina said. We're here to get you out. Arjun's eyes flashed. We will only leave if Nadia's gone. Otherwise, why leave? Your safety, said Medina. We're safe here. I was like, but they hurt you. Angelique said, no, they don't. TK said no more visitors until after demo day. He wants to protect our energy. Today's a big day. He's not protecting you, Medina said. And Arjun scoffed. Look at us. She turned, showing off her expensive silk dress embroidered in a million shades of red. We couldn't get this in in situ. You have your Mfaka, we have ours. But if you get us our settlement, we won't need Mfakas anymore. That's how you can really save us. Make it so we don't need Mfakas. A van will come for you, I said. So get all the girls together right after the demo starts. Hmm. You aren't listening. We will only leave when Nadia's gone, when she's expired. And you, Renea, Arjun said, grabbing my shoulder, biting her fingers into my scales, are the only one who can get away with it. Don't, 
Medina tried to push Arjun off me, but Angelique blocked Medina with her body. Don't touch my sister! At the exact same moment, Arjun pulled me into a hug. It won't be cruel, she whispered in my ear. Just touch Nadia's head. Just send the little pulse, just like with the chicken. I'll help you control it. We know you won't leave a trace. And if you do, you'll just leave the country. Itch was spreading from my feet all the way to my face. I wanted to go home and get in the shower and blast the hottest possible water all over my body. Then I could finally sleep and in my dreams, I would find the sharpest part of my hand, a poorly filed edge, a hard fingernail, and draw blood. I raised my hand to scratch my face, but my finger had barely touched my cheek when there was a spark, like a static shock. And then the itch was gone. Suddenly my skin knew, my bones knew I could do it. I could control it. I wouldn't even need Arjun for it. So I offered her my hand and I said, if you agree to get in the van after, immediately after, with all the girls, I'll do it. No, Medina shouted, scrambling to her feet, trying to lunge at me. Then she fell down. No one touched her. I didn't touch her. She must have tripped or something. Arjun took my hand in hers and squeezed. We are agreed. Renea, I just landed. I am excited to see you. And I received your message about Mother Earth survivors. I am so glad there was a resolution. You do not need me to fix things. You are fixing them entirely on your own. Medina wanted to rage at us, but she couldn't, and she wouldn't let herself leave either. So she grimly watched Arjun and Angelique bring the other five girls out of the shelter, all dressed beautifully and expensively. In addition to the sharp cheekbone Howie and the sleepy Lahari, there was Mari, Penance, and Millicent's. The smallest girl, Mari, looked no older than 12. Penance looked sleepy-eyed, maybe even as drugged as Lahari. Millicent's was almost as small as Mari and almost as fierce-looking as Arjun. The nine of us marched up from the basement and past the lobby where we could hear thunder grumbling. We went to our stations. Medina and I were assigned to a welcome table and tasked to give out programs and boxes of Tuca chocolates. We watched the seven shelter girls roam through the demo day ballroom, offering neck massages to the military men and the money men as they lumbered in from the golden revolving doors to the glowing ballroom orbs. When I saw how Mari clung to Angelique's side, shaking, I knew I was making the right choice. The choice you would have made, Mamai. Norm, Michelle, and Jason returned from the bar, yammering about some football match they caught on TV. 
Then Dr. Monamie was there at our table, really there, in the flesh. Renea, Medina! She hugged Medina, and then, right when she opened her arms for me, thunder clapped so loudly, everyone cried out. Everyone except me. Because Dr. Monamie was giving me a hard, tight, warm hug that threatened to burst the pressure that had built up all summer. I hadn't felt that kind of hug in so long. And it hit me that I'd never gone this long without seeing Dr. Monamie. I wanted to pause everything and let her hold me all day, all week. But she pulled back. Her newly woven extensions flowed down her purple leather jacket and she looked so different, so much younger, like a movie actress or something. In Voldemort, she wore dark pantsuits and kept her hair short and natural, more like Medina, who said, We didn't know you'd be here. Neither did I, said Dr. Monamie. I literally just arrived from the airport. She rested a hip on her large wheeled suitcase. Professor Sukaris asked me to witness your progress. That's exactly what she said. Witness your progress. You must be very jet-lagged. I'll power through. Dr. Monamie smiled at me. Your professor told me you've blossomed this summer. I didn't know about that. How could you not when this fine young lady is helping you? Dr. Monamie brushed Medina's hand. So nice to see you. Medina bowed her head. You girls enjoy yourselves. We'll talk after the big show. Bad maie, he said. Dr. Monamie raised her eyebrows, laughing as she turned away. Medina taught you much more than I expected. Once Dr. Monamie was out of earshot, we stopped smiling. You told her, didn't you? I picked at the tablecloth's rusty stitching, annoyed that Dr. Monamie touched Medina's hand and called her sweet and fine. Only about the van, I said, because we might need help for that. I didn't tell her about our agreement. Your agreement, Medina said. I'm not part of it. Don't worry. I won't hurt anyone, not permanently. I can control it now. Can you? Do you even want to? The overhead lights started to dim. People in the crowd rushed to find a seat. The seven girls walked to the back of the ballroom and lined up next to our table like little sentries. They clutched their upper arms. None of them would look at me, except Arjun. She laser stared me down, daring me to back out of our plan. We didn't really have a plan. Karin and Professor Sukari stood in the front row. After Karin patted his corn stocky hair into place, the professor climbed up to the stage's podium a spotlight slid over the audience and drenched the professor in whiteness. Lights on the giant wireframe head faded up, then glowed and twinkled above him. When he lifted an iris stem off the table of helmets sitting on stage, he revealed a small plastic box, the Megastar. From the door next to the stage, TK and Nadia slipped into the ballroom and took their seats in the front row. Then the professor began to speak. 
Hey guys, I'm Edwin Sukariz of Tahina Institute of Technology. A quick shout out to Sherpa, the Population Foundation, the Gull Foundation, and the Hudsk Foundation. Today is a culmination of their years of support. As you may know, the IRIS, with its unique combination infrared and ultrasonic sensors, revolutionized the world of brain imaging in just a couple years. Everyday folks now have access to MRI quality scans, even time series video scans, in the comfort of their own homes. The most remote rural doctors can afford them. Because it's as light as a bike helmet and just as easy to use, the iris has detected countless tumors in their earliest stages. And last summer we used the iris to identify neuropathic coagulative seizures. Such seizures have become widespread among adolescents in the post-SCARS era. But what I hold in my hand isn't an iris. It's a near device containing ultra-thin graphene electrodes that both detect and conduct electricity. These electrodes can stimulate, so we call this device the iris stim. Whereas the iris only detects seizures. Iris stim can detect seizures, then send precision pulses to mitigate, modulate, and in many cases even non-invasively prevent the seizure. We returned to NCTU this summer to provide therapy with the iris stim. We conducted a double-blind longitudinal experiment in which participants used the iris stim or a control helmet over 10 weeks. Our initial data indicate 80% reported improvement with the iris stim. Some of you have been asking about telepathic communication. While it's not quite like superhero movies, the iris stim supports image stimulation feedback loops, useful for both functional telepathy and long-term behavioral training, colloquially known as imprinting. My research assistants will each have an iris stim available for demo during cocktail hour. Karin, Norm, Jacques, and Jason, please wave to our audience. So, uh, sorry? Could you say that again, Chad? Networking the iris stims? Did I get your question right? Yes. Hi, TK. I know you have the same question. Look, this summer, we demonstrated a new proof of concept, this little plastic box. It looks like a cheap network router, doesn't it? Just like the iris looks like a bike helmet. Yes, yes, it is the Megastar, which, no, 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 that's not correct. There's a fair amount of confusion over the use of Megastar as a one-to-many neurophysiological control or as a method of quote-unquote energy extraction. I've heard that people are using Besson's The Fruit of the Hive to justify these speculations. Let's just put those speculations to rest. Herod Besson was my mentor, and he was concerned not with methods of control, but methods of care. Methods of repair and regeneration. That is what center note theory represents, and that's what the megastar exemplifies. 
the megastar can assign a so-called center node to network iris stim so that they can distribute care, repair, and regeneration to users in the network via networked hardware devices. I hope that answers your questions, Chad and TK. Look, I'll give a full demo for you and for other special guests in a VIP meeting immediately after cocktail hour. Let me get off the stage so we can get to our cocktails. Arjun elbowed me, jerked her head towards Nadia, and said, Go to her! Not now! I was like, it would be too obvious. Then when? Arjun was getting so loud that a few audience members shot her annoyed looks. She shouldn't do it at all! Medina hissed. Now Professor Sucaris was pointing to the grad students and saying they could answer questions during cocktails. They stood up and waved as the spotlight slid over their bodies. On the giant wireframe head, three patches began twinkling more brightly. I thought again of Jason's laptop animation. The ballroom lights faded up. Professor Sucrese was trying to leave the stage, but a big, fast man had almost vaulted from the front row onto the stage, and TK was trying to follow him, and Nadia was following TK. She was, like, yanking at TK, trying to keep him off stage, but he ignored her and called for the Tuca girls to come on stage. He said that today is the day. The girls froze. Then they cried out, holding their heads in pain. Even Medina yelped. I didn't understand it, but it was obvious it had something to do with TK. Nadia ran off the stage and over to us. Come, darlings, come, she said, massaging little Mari's head. This isn't how I wanted it, but you'll be fine. You're powerful, and I'll protect you. You'll be fine. She nodded at Angelique, who nudged the girls towards the stage. Angelique seemed to know what to do. She seemed to be more accustomed to the pain. Arjun looked almost excited. She grabbed my wrist and followed Angelique, and without thinking, I grabbed Medina's wrist. And before we knew it, we were walking in a long daisy chain to the front of the ballroom. On the way, though one of my hands was wrapped in Arjun's and the other was clutching Medina, I tried to send a signal to Dr. Monamye. I was desperate for guidance, but Dr. Monamye didn't see me. She was staring like she was hypnotized at Nadia. She only had eyes for Nadia as our long chain dragged itself on stage. And by then, all signs of the girls' headaches, all their cries of pain, had melted into silence. Once we were on stage, TK told the girls he'd chosen them because he knew they would be perfect to demo the megastar. He strapped a helmet to his head and motioned for us to follow suit. He'd chosen them? What was that supposed to mean? I looked to Medina for answers, but she was holding her head and looking afraid. All the girls were. They were no longer screaming, but they were in pain. For whatever reason, he had chosen them. 
Now he was controlling them. The big, fast front row man, who we later learned was named Chad Stoma, a Sherpa official and former intelligence agent, told the professor to lead the Megastar demo. So the professor grudgingly pushed an iris stem onto his head and told the grad students to help the girls. Karin pointed at Medina and me and said, they aren't two good girls, but TK said he wanted Medina in the demo. Nadia placed a helmet on her head, then helped Mari secure her own helmet. Mari pushed her trembling face into the folds of Nadia's jacket. Nadia was giving TK angry looks. I tried to maneuver closer to Nadia. I won't do it if Renea doesn't, Medina said, and my throat closed. I thought she was abandoning me. But then I saw her tapping her upper arm, her implants. She nodded, looking straight at me. She was giving me permission. We were agreed. So I buckled on an iris stim and watched Medina, Arjun, Angelique, Penance, Millicent, Howie, Lahari, and Mari each strap on a helmet. Jason unspooled thick cables to connect each helmet to the megastar. We'd never seen him use such thick cables. The grad students connected all 12 helmets to the megastar. Then Jason opened his laptop and connected it to the megastar. The demo was ready to begin. It's Brief Explainer from EBC. I'm Tyrone Bryant. Today's question is from KP in Bottom Bay who asks, Would the seven immortal warrior princesses beat the seven immortal cowboys in a boss battle? Immortals forever, as the fans say. The movie Seven Immortals starring Larisha Wadisango continues to dominate the Wobbly Wood box office. Two sequels have been announced. The Seven Immortal Cowboys, based on the Empirican Tall Tale, followed by The Seven Immortal Princesses, based on the Ferimian Legend. And as you note, these aren't just any princesses. They are a militia of lightning-generating warrior princesses. But to answer your question, you'll have to wait for the sequel to find out. Thanks for your question, KP. Please join us for the next Brief Explainer from EBC. The air sharpened like a thousand hair-thin needles pressing into my face and scalp. I closed my eyes, and I think through the iris-dim helmets, I could feel the others close their eyes, and the needles pressing all over my head merged together into one knife point that pressed into my forehead. Chad Stoma had to harangue the professor to start the demo, and the professor told us to say what he was thinking. Almost in unison, we all yelled, Elamander! I hadn't even thought it. I opened my mouth, and Elamander came out. Then I saw a faint glow in the eyes of the Tuca girls and Medina. The professor wanted to stop the demo there, so we all started taking the helmets off. I wish we had. 
I wish I'd told the girls to run fast until TK couldn't control them and Medina would help them find the Mother Earth survivor's van that would take them far, far away where TK couldn't find them. But of course, TK would find them. And it didn't matter in that moment anyway because I wanted the demo to go on. This was my chance. Eventually, after an argument that TK and Chad won over the professor, and after Jason pressing a few buttons, the professor was no longer the center node. Now it was TK. And then I couldn't help it. I was being tickled. I fucking hate being tickled, but I couldn't help it. I was laughing hysterically. Everyone wearing a helmet, all 11 of us, all except TK, were in hysterics. And TK was saying, in my mind, not out loud, that imprinting would be a snap. He was saying, girls, you feel my imprint, don't you? We practiced and practiced, and soon you won't need the helmets. I was still laughing, though it was calming down to a chuckle for the professor, Nadia, and me. But deafening, body-bending belly house kept exploding from Arjun, Angelique, Howie, Lahari, Penance, Millicent, Mari, and Medina as if invisible hands were groping at their chests, tickling them. I saw a future in which the girls would never try to leave, would never want to leave, because they were infant. How far in space would they have to run? How long in time would they have to live before they could get free? Would they ever get free? Would imprinting work on other people? Medina, laughing and laughing and laughing, yanked me back with drowning eyes, and I could sense, feel the hard patches on her brain. All the girls were yanking at me, and I could feel the patches on all their brains. The stage lights dimmed, I don't know why, but I could suddenly see the whole ballroom and everyone in it. Some, like the hotel waiters, looked stunned. Some, like the DeGiant team, looked tense. Some, like Dr. Monanye, looked amazed. And some, like Chad Stoma, looked delighted. This is truly useful, he was saying from a million miles away. Arjun slammed hard inside my mind. You promised. She screamed into the air outside my mind. The scream was real. It reverberated in space, through the network, jolting it into actions too fast for most to see. Nadia and I were moving slowly, but the Tuka girls and Medina, silently crying out, ran a circle around Professor Sukaris. TK was making them, and the professor was shouting and spasming. He tried to yank his helmet off, or was he adjusting it? Then TK was shouting and spasming, mirroring the professor. They were both shrieking all over the stage like crazed puppets, loudly in pain and silently in command. The girls stopped yanking at me. They were getting tired. 
So I grabbed the helmet cable close to its plug junction on my head. I drew the group's collective current through the cable. The current became lightning, branching into fine white streams that tickled my fingers before running up my arm, striking the scaly growth on my shoulder. You can overpower all the power people combined, you once said and a burning seized my skin, the thousand needles groping me, then seismically gripping me by the arms close to my scales. The current was too much to hold, and my scales blocked me from drawing the current more strongly to my heart and head, so I could feel my arm tissue stretching. I had to release the current. It washed through the entire network, and everyone shouted in pain. Electro whiz, electro whiz, you really are an electro whiz. TK was singing like a broken toy. Arjun and Medina, feeling TK's control slip, lashed TK in the face. He shrieked. In my mind, I pushed Arjun and Medina behind me, trying to hide what they'd just done. I sent noise through the network for good measure. I drew in as much of their collective current as I could. This time, I held it. And this time, it was easy because I wasn't alone. Medina and Arjun helped me to hold it. The professor was trying to remove his helmet, but he couldn't control his hands. They were twitching too much. So again, I drew the current in. Now all the girls were helping me hold it. Though my deepest organs were burning, it scratched a deep, deep itch. I tried to release a tiny pulse. All the nodes, the girls, the professor, TK, Nadia, cried out. With everything I had, I wanted to target just TK, lash him in the face like Arjun and Medina, but I didn't know how. Like this, Arjun said, pulling from me to lash TK, but this time he saw it coming, and even though he didn't move, it was like he hugged Angelique in his mind. And then she not only blocked Arjun's lash, she whipped it around to strike Arjun back hard. Arjun crumpled to the floor. Seeing what she'd done, what he'd made her do, Angelique screamed and lunged at TK, but he hugged her again. It's hard to explain it, but it's like he hugged all of us on the inside. I don't know how. It was like the world got muted and he was the buffer between the world and me. We all fell to our knees, even Nadia and the professor, even me. Something seemed to break little Mari. She screamed and crumpled just like Arjun, but Nadia caught her and then I heard her. Do it, Nadia was saying. This is your chance, she said to me, only to me. I wasn't sure I heard right. I looked straight at Nadia, who was looking straight at me. She was nodding, and I heard you, Mamai, in the distance. You can make them cry. Nadia's mouth was moving, and she said with your voice, And you should. I drew in the current one last time. But then I got hit, tackled from behind. As I flew 
glued to the ground, seconds stretched into minutes, milliseconds stretched into hours. Every single person froze like figures in a painting. Whatever it was that hit me, whoever it was, I felt them absorb my current without being electrocuted. They guided me precisely past all the hard implants, targeting the three. I squeezed my muscles, my deepest organs, and released all my current into the targets. Everything. I hit the ground, or was it another body? The entire network fell, their helmets shattering, shards sparking with electricity that discharged on their skin. Arjun and Mari opened their eyes. They all opened their eyes and all the girls' eyes shone more luminous than any moon. I was convulsing. I was watching Medina spasm. It was almost like we were dancing on stage in near-perfect rhythm. Is this a seizure we wondered from far, far away? woke up in a hospital bed, covered in a papery blanket. The overhead lights were too bright, too white. Dr. Monamye was beside me, rubbing my shoulder right near my plaque, my scales. She was saying, you are amazing. Her words echoed through my body like a drug, like the feeling of scratching an itch with scalding water or even my nails. She said I'd had a small seizure and fainted, but I was fine now. Professor Sukris, though, he was in a coma. TK and Nadia were in critical condition and kept passing in and out of consciousness. She kept talking, but I stopped listening. I closed my eyes and willed myself back to sleep. It didn't work. There was too much pressure in my chest and throat. How could I have possibly thought I could have controlled it? There I was on stage and I couldn't control it. And Nadia was pushing down on my chest and you, Mamai, were pushing down on my throat. You were both wearing a million different shades of red. You were both saying over and over, you can make them cry and you should. You can make them cry, and you should. Dr. Monamye said that the girls all fainted just like me, and I couldn't breathe right. You were pushing down so hard. It was getting so bright. I hurt 11 people and myself, a dozen. I might have even, how could I have possibly thought I could have controlled it? When Dr. Monamye said not to worry, most of the girls were awake. I was like, but not all of them. They will be fine, said Dr. Monamye. I am absolutely certain of it. As certain as I am that you are amazing. I wanted to believe her. I tried so hard to avoid the hard patches, all the hard patches in their heads. But the deepest part of me the part that can hear you, Mamai, 
it knows that I'm a fuck up. I'm a fuck up, mama, just like you. Dr. Monamie stood up, saying she would go check on the other girls, but I was like, wait, I needed her to stay, because there was one thing I needed to know right then. You have... I opened my eyes wide, searching for the word. You have capacity. Dr. Monamie's eyes were as opaque as her jet black earrings. And she said that she had a capacity for many things. But wasn't that too much? Is what I remember saying. I was having a hard time making sense. It was a domino effect, Dr. Monamie told me. I'd fallen into the giant students who fell into the Sherpa guys. I was like, so the Sherpa guys, now they're gonna round us up and study us like lab rats? Dr. Monamie said very clearly, no, they didn't see anything. From the time TK became the central node to the time you fell over, it couldn't have been more than three seconds. I watched Dr. Monamie and said, but you know what happened. Dr. Monamie smiled. I think she did, but it was such a tiny fleeting smile, maybe I imagined it, because she immediately became serious again and said, I know you are afraid. She squeezed my shoulder at the plaque and then squeezed the area all around it, massaging, loosening muscles that must have been so crazy tense because each squeeze hurt hard for a second and felt so good. She said, but you did nothing wrong. My eyes still closed. I nodded because I just wanted her to keep massaging me, to move to my other shoulder plaque, then my neck plaque, then my hips. But she stopped and took her hand away. I heard her opening her purse. I cracked my eyes open a slit and watched her dig out her phone. She navigated to something on the phone and then turned the phone towards me. Wake up, Ray Ray, wake up. As soon as I got a decent look at her phone screen, I thought, wait a minute. I thought she had your class picture in my mind. The one I'd shown Medina. The picture was as old as yours. But Dr. Monamie's picture was in ballroom number five. In the picture, the girls were as dark as Arjun and Angelique. On its edges stood a younger TK and a younger Nadia looking stronger and more beautiful and more monstrous and less sad. On stage, why had Nadia spoken to me, just me, only to give up everything, her whole settlement? Dr. Monamie pointed to a girl in the center of the picture. A small girl, so small she might never grow bigger than me. I sat up to put my face close to the phone. Then I looked at Dr. Monamie, then back at the phone. She was nodding and she said, that little girl is me. 
If there had been anything in my stomach except a single Tuca Hotel chocolate, I would have vomited all over Dr. Monamie's phone. Instead, I just gagged. I saw you slumping, wearing my sunglasses and slumping down, down, everything getting too bright. Dear, shh, calm down. Wake up, calm down, she said. We'll talk more later. When we're back in Voldemort, I think we should meet regularly. I want to schedule private counseling sessions every week. Does that sound all right? I couldn't believe it. And I was like, yeah, of course, of course. I said, but I just need, I have one more question. Go ahead, dear. Can you do what I did? Dr. Monamie stroked my shoulder for so long, I almost forgot my question. I started getting drowsy, so relaxed, I almost thought I was dreaming. When I opened my eyes, she asked, What did you do? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Valdemar International Airport. Local time is 4.48 a.m. For your safety and comfort, please remain seated with your seatbelt fastened until the captain turns off the fastened seatbelt sign. This will indicate that we have parked at the gate and that it is safe for you to move about. At this time, you may use your mobile devices if you wish. Please check around your seat for any personal belongings you may have brought on board with you. Please use caution when opening the overhead bins as heavy articles may have shifted during the flight. If you require deep planing assistance, please remain in your seat until all other passengers have deep planed. One of our crew members will then be pleased to assist you. On behalf of Imperican Airlines and the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for joining us on this trip. We look forward to seeing you on board again in the near future. Have a wonderful day. What did you do? Medina asked. What did you do? Dr. Monamie asked. And I wanted to scream, I don't know. I made it home. I just claimed my baggage. I guess I have to leave the airport now. I'll see Poppy and Rolly, and they'll ask, how'd it go? What did you do? And soon, I'll be back at school. And everyone will ask, how was your summer? What did you do? And soon, I'll see Dr. Monamie at school. She wants to see me twice a week going to be the lifeline that gets me through because to everyone else I'll have to give some kind of stupid answer some kind of simple summer summary they don't mustn't care about Mamai, this is where your expertise comes in you the master of deflection oh I had a great summer you would say I can hear you say it it was an awesome adventure! All those fancy high-tech projects, they're all smoke and mirrors. The big thing I learned this summer is that prototypes are just that. 
They're prototypes. They almost never work. Even the fanciest prototypes from the fanciest teams. Almost always they are all broken on the inside. You'd say with your conspiratorial wink. My skin looks better? Glowing? <laughs> well, I don't know. You'd say with false modesty. I learned a few new tricks. What kind of tricks? Well, I can't tell you that. And my new friends would kill me. My new girls. It's a girl thing. A girl thing. You knew how to use that phrase to great effect with Bobby and Rolly. A girl thing, you'd say. And it always shut them up and killed their curiosity. Genius. Oh my my. I'm here at the exit. Bappy and Rolly are waiting on the other side. I guess I should thank you. I don't forgive you? You didn't do jack shit to earn that? But I guess I thank you. Calling you helped. All right, I gotta go. We'll talk more later. Thank you for listening to The Great Teat is a Bird, Season 1, Episodes 1 through 10. The show was performed by Tanya Van Bagen, David Briggs, Tyrone Bryant, Carola Syndrome Moscoso, Josue Diaz, Amon Ducao, R. Ducao, Jordi Frank, Krista Grauer, David Hill, Elias Quen, Brian Lee, Joshua Ogure, Masi Oladipo, Francesca Njanja, Rivant Prikash, Chris Willard, Alexander Wright III, and Edlin Yuen. Thanks to our advisors, Myung Hong Horwitz, Masi Oladipo, and Krista Grauer. Thanks also to our better listeners, Gina Rodriguez and Emma DeWald. The Great Teat is a Bird was created and produced by R. Ducao for Ducord Studio. Visual developer, Brian Lee. Script consultant, Francesca Njanja. Production support, Elias Cohen. The script was edited and supervised by me. Susan Osiche. The Great Tit is a Bird Season 1 was produced with support from the NYU Office of Global Inclusion, the NYU APA Institute, and Brick Arts Media. Copyright 2022, the Ducod Studio, all rights reserved. Have a great day. Bye. The Great. Yeah.
isabird.com. Com. Com.